But when I got into China, I mean, the first thing I see was my mom being raped in front of me. And then wow. they, I was a slave now. They, they were checking my teeth. They were making sure that, you know, like somehow I was 13 years old. And in China, virgin is something very valuable. So they sold my mom uh, for $65 and they sold me for less than $300 in this 21st century. And then they separated me from my mom. Yo, what's good, everybody? This is Hafiz, and welcome back to another episode. I am so glad that you guys are here today. And today's episode, man, you know what? One of the biggest things I've been feeling about the roommates at times is that sometimes the conversation may be stagnant. And little do you guys know that, you know, some of the guests we bring on, and I love them, and they're all amazing, but a lot of times there's a lot of different other people with a lot of different other perspectives we try to get on, and sometimes we are not able to make it happen. But this week, after so many weeks of trying to really innovate and, and do a lot of things differently, we found an exceptional guest. And guys, one of the biggest things that, you know, as the roommates has been growing, as a lot of things has been improving about my life is that sometimes when I'm frustrated, when I'm upset, I lose perspective. I lose perspective on life. I lose perspective on my blessings. I lose perspective on my opportunities that God has given me. And so in today's episode, this, this young lady here has a message that's so powerful that will give every last individual perspective and hopefully gratitude as well as insight to a part of the world that is unknown for the majority of us. So guys, please welcome to the show the one and only Yonmi Park. I'm so honored. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of pressure right now. <laughs> Uh, no, honored. no pressure, no, yeah. pr no pressure, no pressure. Yomi, thank you so much for taking your time out of your day today to join the show. It's a, it's a real honor. It's, it's my honor. All, all is all mine. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, Yomi, for the people who don't know who you are, can you give a, a, a short synopsis and a, or a summary of who you are and what you do and all that good stuff? Yeah, so I was born in North Korea and I escaped when I was 13 years old. Uh, because I was just hungry, I couldn't find things to eat. Uh, I escaped to China and I been trafficked by the human traffickers. After two years of in China, I finally found a way to be free, which was actually crossing the frozen Gobi Desert into Mongolia by foot. So I did that. I crossed the desert, and at fifteen, I did arrive in South Korea safely. I came to America five years ago to study at Columbia University. And then since then, I've been advocating for freedom in North Korea, as well as, you know, fighting for freedom of speech in America right now. Wow. Whoa, that is that's a great synopsis. <laughs> and there's so much there's so much to unpack for your story. And so let's go ahead and start at the, the very beginning, you know? So you, so you were born in North Korea. Um, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask a lot of questions that may seem ignorant because I'm just oblivious to a lot of things going on in that part of the world. So do you guys have states, provinces? Like what, like how do you guys break, break up this, the, the country? Yeah, we have provinces and then okay. we divide them into smaller groups, which is called the people's unit. 
So in North okay. Korea, everybody belongs to some collective group. So everything is belong to some community. So I was okay. born in the northern part called the Yanggang province. And in a mm-hmm. city called Hesan that had a border with China. That we had one okay. river that divided us between China and North Korea. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. I may not be able to pronounce those <laughs> where you're from. <laughs> so, but, so you were born in the northern part of North Korea. Um, and so my question to you is, what was what um, what is different about where you're from versus the other parts? Are you from the poorer parts, the richer parts, the, the more affluent parts? What is unique about where you're from in North Korea? So they, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that. So in America now, you know, if I want to travel to where you are in Dallas, Texas, I can literally do that, right? Mm-hmm. But in North Korea, there is not even freedom to travel abroad. We don't even know what passport is, right? I never mm-hmm. even seen the map of the world. I never knew. Wow. Yeah, I never knew what Africa or Canada, Australia was. And, but the regime not just only limiting the freedom to travel abroad, they also limit travel within the country. So we cannot, mm. we are not even allowed to go to the next part of the town without a travel permit that is very hard to get. So like mm. you said, you know, I don't know if you read the Hunger Games or saw the movie that yeah. like that about, you know, there's a capital and the regime dividing the 13 different districts, like exactly like mm. that. And other than wow. outside of the capital, people being starved on purpose by the regime. So we are so weak that we don't think about the meaning of life, what is, you know, freedom. The people are constantly starved, so all we have to worry about is surviving, finding the next meal. And the people in capital mm. have an amazing, luxurious life, like Kim Jong-un, all these top elites men, they have their own pleasure squad. They pick up the virgins around the country. Each year they get them and make them their own satisfactory groups, make them sexual slaves. And of course, people don't don't even know what human rights is. So not to mention we, women's rights, we we don't even know what human rights is in that country. Wow. So you're saying that you know Kim Jong Un and his leaders they live in like the capital, mm-hmm. and so every year they you said they travel the country and they gather virgins from around North Korea. And do these virgins become their wives? Do they become their concubines? Or are they are like, like are they just sex slaves and they just use them and they throw them back? How does how does how does that work? If you if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, it's uh the pleasure squad is uh sexual slaves. It's not even concubine or wife lover. Mm. Uh, they pick the girls and then uh, they divide them into masseuse and dancing group and singing group and the sexual group, which is a satisfactory group. And they train mm. these girls for two years, teach them the, you know, all those techniques, how to please men, how to dance, you know, erotic way. Then this like six and 17 years old, a young virgin be trained. And then when they are by the age of 23, they have to, you know, go away. So, wow. yeah, these girls are one of the now in North Korea, the second power other than Kim Jong-un, his name is Choi Yong-hae. He's so psychotic that he would literally take off all these girls' teeth. So when when these girls give him pleasure, they would maybe somehow better. So they use like human beings, not like human beings. We are less valuable than literally dogs in that country. Wow. So so basically, 
they start their girls at 16 years old. So they're traveling the country looking for 16-year-old virgins and to join this pleasure squad. So in regards to, is it is it these men? Like, are the men, like, you know, in, like, tanks traveling the country? Or do they have, like, certain people whose job is to find the girls? Like, how do they find the girls to join this pleasure squad? So every district gets an assignment from the party in the capital. So this year... We want like maybe five people in your region, like that. And it's if the officials do not bring in these pretty virgins to the capital, they are gonna lose their job. It's assignment wow. from the regime. So they actually don't even go at, uh, they go to school areas and even schoolyards, pick up the girls who look pretty and then give family status and then designate them even when they're eight or nine years old. Then let the teacher know that, make sure that nobody scratched their face, nobody hurt them physically. So by the time when they're 16, they go to the physical exam, make sure that they are virgins, make sure that they don't have scratch or things, and make sure they hide and facial feature, all of that, then they take them. But the thing is here in the West, like why anybody, any parents would let their daughters go? But in North Korea, your chance of dying from starvation is the highest threat. So the fact that your daughter gonna go somewhere, gonna be fed three times a day, that is the biggest honor and fortune. So so many wow. families dying to go, this being picked by pleasure squad groups. Wow. So nine years old, mm. the the dish, the leaders of the district kind of like it's kind of like. A sacrifice that like you're paying yeah. tribute to the to the overlords in 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 the capital, and your tribute is these young virgins. So at nine, they kind of they already know wh who the girl is. Then eventually, girl gets 16 years old, and then they send her to the capital to go live in these homes. And and so, um, how many girls does each guy get? Is it like is he have like 15, 20, 100, five like? Is there a certain, uh, like a limit or is it unlimited amount of girls each guy gets every year? So the, the professional pleasure squad, each group is 25 that Kim Jong-un gets. And then okay. one each year, but then other than 25, he gets unlimited girls anywhere he goes. Like if the official walks around the Pyongyang and drive around the Pyongyang and he sees a girl walking by, he likes and they get her. Then get, they kidnap her mm. and then rape her. So, so many women wow. in North Korea just get raped, really literally by walking on the street, somebody sees and kidnap them and take them. And we don't have a wow. place to go because, I mean, the word rape doesn't even exist. We don't even know what that is. So, I mean, North wow. Korea right, is a supposedly socialist paradise. So every news that you watch is like a happy news. There's no crime. Mm -hmm. There's no disaster everything is happy so people don't even know these things happening wow so then you so you said at 23 years old the girls are released yeah. from the pleasure squad so where, where do they go after they're released so then there are men pleasure squad and the men are bodyguards for this high type elite men so they uh, assign their marriage by the party so, you know, the people like these girls have seen so much of the elites and the leader, right? And they have to sign the thing where they are never going to leak what they saw. And they are never going to even return to their family ever again. So the regime says, wow. giving them pictures of these guys. Like, who do you want to pick to get married? So these men who were also picked by pleasure squad and have to do service and be a sexual slave. 
and those men and the women usually marry each other, and that's the story, and they're forever sealed from the public. Okay, um, that, that you said they're what from the public? They are probably like a you know divided from the public. They are never like joining oh, okay. us after their life. They are forever like separated from us. Okay, and then um, so so after these women leave. Then there's certain guys that they select, and they're like, your, your job is to marry him. So is, is she his wife, or is she his sex slave when they get married? Oh, when they get married, his wife. Because those men okay. are also like the bodyguards who are being used by the regime. So they, okay. don't, they do mainly to women, but they are also sexual class men. Like, they do pick up young boys, pretty boys, and then do those similar things to the guys. But not in a scale. The scale is like... 98% for women and 2% for men. Wait, so you're saying that there's also, they also get young boys of course. as well? Yeah, because uh, North Korea, like when the Dennis Rodman went to North Korea, I remember the, the, the basketball uh -huh. player, he said like, oh my God, I have so many girls partying with me, right? Those are all pleasure squad members. But then also there are women who go to North Korea. And then North, there are a lot of sympathizers of socialism and communism. So when they go to North Korea, if they are women, they get these boys as their, you know, as sexual toys. Okay. So wait. So so the the boy, are, do the men partake in that, or is only the women partaking in the boys? Uh. So if the guests are women, they give them the men. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So it's, mm. so 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 it's like the generals aren't also having male sex slaves and female sex slaves, male sex slavery for like the, the women sympathizers who come, yeah. who are guests of the regime and they use them to take, so they can enjoy themselves, so to Exactly, speak. yeah, that's how they incentivize to support the North Korean regime. So there are many mm. sympathizers around the world support North Korean regime and Kim Jong-un because they get so much money and when they go to North Korea, they get this treatment they never ever receive in other parts of the world. Because in North Korea, oh, wow. There's no law. There's no human rights. There's no anything. You can do literally yeah. whatever you want if you have power. Wow. Wow. Wow, that's, that's, that's really fascinating. I mean, you know, I think the unfortunate thing that, you know, happens so far around the world is that we lose perspective of all the rights and liberties that we have in America. And one of the things is that, like you were sharing, that it's so unfortunate that, you know, these young women, they, they, they lose all their freedom. They lose all their opportunities. They, 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 lose, it, they lose everything. And so is there, is there any code of ethics when it comes to young women? Because you were saying previously, like, women are just walking across the street and a man's like, oh, I want you. They just grab them, throw them in the car and, 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 and ravish them. Is there, is, so there's basically, is, there's no such thing where it's like, you know, maybe that's somebody's wife, and they're like, okay, that's someone's wife, so that's off limits. Is it's just a free for all for all women on the streets? It's if you are powerful, you you are like the law is below okay. you. That's the thing. In the country okay. like North Korea, like in the socialist system, where the elites gather the entire power in their hands, right? Small group of people have the entire power, so the law is below them. So even Kim Jong Il himself, he got like. Three of his wives were married to women, and then he saw them one day in the movie or like uh, some like uh, opera or singing. He's like, I want her, but she was married. Wow. It didn't matter. He would send the guys to concentration camp and take the woman. 
So wow. that is widespread even among the elites. It doesn't matter if women are married or not. If they want it, they just take it. Lord. All right. So, so back to your childhood growing up. So you're, you're raised in a Northern part and it is, and it's a poor part of the, of the community. What, what was it like? Were you raised with your mother, your father, your siblings? What, what was your childhood like at that time? Yeah. So Hesan was in a more middle class because thankfully it was a border town and North Korean regime tried their best to look nice to the outside world. So they do put some effort to look better, clean up in the border town. So that's where I was. And I had a one older sister. I had two loving parents. But in North Korea, we don't have word for love. We don't have mm. the vocabulary. Like, uh, I don't know if you read 1984 by George O'R. It talks yeah. about double speak. You know, who controls the language, who controls the thoughts. Therefore, the regime get rid of the words like, you know, love. So people don't know what that is. They get rid of the word wow. gay. So we don't know what that is. And they get rid of the word like stress because how can you be stressed in the socialist paradise? So they get that rid of it for you. Wow. And so even though I had a very loving parents, they never told me they loved me. I never seen they say each other they love each other. So and of course, like when I was born, that was 1993 at the end of it. And that was after Soviet Union collapsed. And this, they were stopped subsidizing North Korea's economy. So that's when the massive starvation was happening, spreading around the country. So more than three to four million people died. And that was when wow. I was a toddler. And those deaths was happening in the northern part, not in Qatar. And mm. North Korean, still the regime policy is that until the 90% of the population dies out, we don't do anything about it. So... And what's the population? Sorry for cutting you. What is the population of North Korea? Do you guys know yeah. that number? Officially, they are, the regime says 25 million, but no, it's more 20 million. So many people okay. died. And this, the population growth so stagnant. Like, unlike South Korea, their population is now almost 50 million people. And North Korea mm -hmm. is still like 20 million. You can see how much starvation yeah. like held us back. Yeah. So 4 million people died and there's 20 million people in the population. That's literally 20% of the population yeah. mm -hmm. passed away. Mm -hmm. And so were you, do you guys have school? Were you guys like, do you have like a public school system? Is it homeschool? How were you educated at that time when you were younger? Yeah. So homeschool is not an option and we do okay. all have to go to public school. But then when we go to public school, we are like free laborers for the regime. So it doesn't matter. There's no concept like minor in North Korea. Even though you're seven years old, you have to work in a dam, in a farmland. So oh, wow. when I go to school, the regime would make me study the propaganda in, in entire morning, learning about, you know, what kind of miracles that Kim Jong-il can do. And how can he read my thoughts? You know, they tell us that Kims are gods in school, right? They are not even human beings at that point. For the movie that Sony made about Kim Jong Un, I don't know what you called it the interview. He talked about yeah. like how Kim Jong Un never goes to the bathroom. It is true. Like we learned those nonsense in school. Like how Kim wow. Jong Un, you know, walked at two months. How he spoke and killed our enemies at five, and how he drove tank at three years old. <laughs> All these like mythical stories we learn in the morning and yeah. afternoon. They would send us to the like manual labor, you know, hard labor for children and then we are not even that well fed anymore so it became so hard and I couldn't go to school I couldn't afford to go to school after like two semesters 
so you so you have to pay to go to school? Well, that's the interesting about so- North Korea socialism is that everything's supposed to be free, right? Free healthcare, free education. And then on the paper, it is free. But when you go to school, teachers don't, their salary from the regime does not even get them one meal a day. Like doctor's salary, why not? The medical doctor gets less than one dollar a month. Wow. So they cannot even buy one meal with that money. <laughs> so, so how do they make their money? They have to like charge the people? Absolutely. So that's why the, it's the most, most corrupt country. That doctors okay. have to be corrupt. And then the teachers have to, they have to beat the children if they don't, children don't bring the money to the teacher. So if I go to school wow. with that money, they would beat me up. And I go home, ask money, and my mom doesn't have money. So eventually I couldn't go to school. And at what age did you stop going to school? I think eight. <laughs> eight, eight years old. Yeah, okay. So what did you do after? The, so what did you do afterwards when you weren't in school anymore? I mean, I had to survive. I had to find food. And my parents would go look at food. Then I have to do the housework. I have to go in the river, wash the clothes. You know, we don't have a learning machine. We don't have the electricity. Yeah. And I had to go to mountain, pick up the, you know, plants and flowers, anything that could subsidize of food that diet that we are eating. And the only source of protein for me as a child was uh, eating insects. So in the fall, wow. I would go like catch a lot of grasshoppers and dragonflies. Mm. And do you, do you, did you have any friends? Is a friendship, you know, a thing over there? No, you don't even have the word for friends. We have the word for oh, comrades wow. though. But the comrade okay. is more for the revolution. Friends is more for your personal friends. So, but we, I had a comrade. However, everybody spy. So if the first thing my mom told me as a young girl was, don't even whisper because the birds and mice could hear me. She said the most mm. dangerous thing that I had in my body was my tongue. If I said remotely anything was not, you know, okay for the regime, they would not just literally kill me. They are going to kill the three to eight generations of my family with me, along with me. This is wow. called a guilty by association. If the fact that you're associated with me, that you are guilty by default. So because of my great grandfather did something slightly wrong, then I am forever guilty for that. So it's like, wow. like what we see in America now. Like, you know, the white guilt, white privilege. Because yeah. you're associated wow. to them in the past. Now you are guilty too. So it's a very similar tactic that North Korea used to divide people classes. And it's so heartbreaking. They began as a communist, right? It's a communist party. They told us we are going to get rid of inequality. We're going to make everything equal. Now North Korea ended up with 51 different classes. We're the wow. homogeneous same people. We're like Koreans, so we don't have other ways. Within same Koreans, they divide to 51 different classes in the people. Wow. Like you said, um, you referenced 1984, but it's very similar to Animal Farm, yeah. you know, with George Orwell, another one of his classics where, you know, all men are equal, but in a, they, or all animals are equal, <laughs> but then some animals are more equal than others, exactly. which you, we see in the, with the leadership in, at the Capitol. And so, so... There's not word for friendship. You said there's a word for com- comrade. Comrade, yeah. and comrade means you said revolution. Can you explain that uh, for me? So in North Korea, they tell you the the fact that you the your meaning of your life, the fact that you exist to serve the revolution of the party. They don't even ask you to what do you think about the point of your life, right? They tell you what it is. So mm. 
when you're a comrade, you are working for the revolution of our nation. And when you're friends, okay. like you are friends. So this is the importance of the language. If you okay. don't know the word, you don't know the concept. Right. Okay, that makes perfect so, sense. So like the word that we don't know what gay is, we do not know the understand the concept of the whole thing. Like that friendship, mm. we don't have the word for friends. So I did not know what friendship was. And it's like, oh, this is why the dictator is so so like controlling the language. They really, really wow. control what you speak. In order to control the entire thing, they need to learn how to control your speech first. So then how do people meet and marry? Because you said your parents were married. So if there's no concept of friendship, how do how do marriages even exist in North Korea? So the regime says the fact that you marry is to produce the reproduce and to serve yeah. the nation. You don't marry yes. for love, obviously. You don't marry for your service, like person satisfaction. You marry because you want to serve the regime together as a unit. And you have to keep producing children because so many people are dying out in North Korea. The average life is expecting so low. And mm. so uh, when my parents married, it was through the family, the arrangement marriage. And okay. a lot of times government assign marriages. They say, oh, this is like the military base. Now they're done serving the nation. So why don't we let them marry this region of women? So regime, even okay. that, they tell you what to do. They literally wow. control like what haircut you get, what music to listen to, what, what movie to watch, what, what clothes to wear, and then who to marry. They control everything for you. Wow. Wow. No, so that's, that's f quite fascinating. So basically what you say is going on is that almost all the marriages are either arranged by family or they're arranged by the government. So it's, so there's really, people are not really meeting any, anybody on a intimate level. Everything is simply business. Everything is simply transactional. And so you could be a, a young woman. Um, and is there like a certain age they want the women married by, or, you know, do they like, is it like 19 years old now at 19, you get a husband, like, is there a certain age that they do this? Usually, North Koreans married tend to be very early. And then mm -hmm. men are not because men's are <laughs> mandatory for this to serve in the military for 13 years. If you want to be wow. an officer, it's 16 years. So every man in North Korea have to serve in the military for 13 years, from 17 to 30 years old. And women now under Kim Jong-un, it's mandatory to serve in the military to five years. So okay. that age now has been going up because you have to go to military first and come out. But when you go to military, your chance of dying from starvation is like a half 50%. Like when you go to military, mm. the regime don't feed you. So you usually die. And if you're a woman, you're constantly raped by the officers. And North Korea, we are too poor to even offer the contraception. We don't even know what condom is. We don't even know what these pills are. So poor. So if the women get pregnant by being raped by the officer, the women are the ones get punished. So wow. life is so hard for the women when they go to military because they don't even have sanitary pads and we do, our nutrition is not good. So we don't even get the periods. So that's the, how the fact that not all of them get pregnant is because the women are so malnourished that we don't mm. get our periods and we don't even, we are not even able to conceive. And now men's high in North Korea. Anybody above uh, four, ten feet have to go to military 
because we are keep shrinking and shrinking, shrinking because of we don't eat that lot. I mean, we don't really eat wow. anything. Wow. So you said 15 years old, you decided to leave. What made you decide to leave North Korea when you were 15? So I was escaping. I was 13 years old. And oh, 13. Yeah, I apologize. No, no, no. Was, uh, I mean, it was simple. I couldn't find any more food. And that was the last. It wasn't like I was thinking, oh, if I go to China, I will find food. I did not know even what that was, right? Luckily, yeah. I was living in the border town and seeing the lights coming out of China at night. And I don't know if you mm. ever seen the satellite photo of North Korea. You should like see that. It's literally the darkest place in the world. Like South wow. Korea, China next to have all the lights at night. North Korea is complete darkness. Because we don't mm. have electricity this, in this 21st century. So luckily, mm. in that darkness, I was able to see some lights coming from China. And I thought if wow. I go where the lights were, maybe I might find some bowl of rice. And that's how okay. I escaped. So did you escape by yourself? Did you have like a map? And I mean, obviously you didn't have a map, but I mean, like, did you have like a trail? Did you have a path? Was there, what, did you inform anybody? You know, how did, how did the escape go? My sister actually, who was 16 years old, escaped a few days before. And then she left me a note to say, go find this lady and she's going to help you. So I went with my mother, and then when I went to, to find my sister, she told me if I go to China, that I was going to find my sister. So I told my mom that day, like, why don't we go to China together? So, and this lady, later we found out because she was a human trafficker. But when you're so, so desperate, I just didn't even ask why she was trying to help me to go to China. Because in North Korean border, it's like literally entire country became a concentration camp. The border is shared with electrified wire fences, with the machine guns, with the guards, and they shoot you if you cross. But the women who were sending us bribed these guards. So that's how we were able to cross the frozen river into China. Okay, so, wow. So your sister escaped a couple of days before you did, left you a letter said, meet this lady, and this lady will show you how to escape to yeah. China. And you meet the lady. Yeah. You, you found out she was actually a sex trafficker, and she kind of was like, okay, here's the path, go this way. And they bribed the guards so that you're able to go. So you leave, so you leave by yourself, or you and your mom leave With together? My mom initially, we crossed the frozen river together to, into China. But when we, How long did that take you guys? It was one night. Uh, we crossed okay. uh, many years and then we went through the frozen river. But when I got into China, I mean, uh, the first thing I see was my mom being raped in front of me. And then wow. they, I was a slave now. They, they were checking my teeth. They were making sure that, you know, like somehow I was 13 years old. And in China, virgin is something very valuable. So... They sold my mom uh, for $65, and they sold me for less than $300 in this 21st century, and then they separated me from my mom. Whoa. That's, that's, that's intense. So the moment you guys cross, and, and is there, like, men, a group of guys waiting? Is it, like, it's like a group of guys waiting at the border for women to cross? Is that, is that how it works? Like, 
Yeah, there's a so there's a guide who was a man, he young man from North Korea. He took us to cross the river. Okay, so yeah. you get a guide, yeah. a man, a male guide. Okay, mm-hmm. and then when we arrived at the other side of River Bank of China, that's where the human trafficker with a car behind he was waiting there, and then he uh, he wanted to rape me first, but my mom offered herself, and then Whoa. after rape they took me to his house. And then there was another human trafficker who was going to buy us. It's like a human trafficking chain, right? You sell into one group and then to another group and another group. Each time you're being sold, your price goes up. So the second human trafficker who bought, he took my mom and then he sold my mom first and then kept me for like uh, maybe 14 days. I don't know exactly. And then they he sold me to another human trafficker. And that's where I was able to find my mom again. Okay, so upon being sold the second time, that's when you were able to meet your mom. And, and was it still when you were 13 years old? I was 13, and I was sold to the... the so in China, basically, why this human trafficking is widespread is that right now there are more than 30 million Chinese men cannot find women because uh, the Chinese one-child policy... Due to that policy, a lot of people just uh, aborted the girls and kept the boys, right? And then now, as time goes by, more eligible men whose marriage marriage are not able to find the girls anymore because they all got aborted. And this is now, there's a huge demand for women, especially in the regions like countryside, so poor, that men cannot afford to get Chinese wife. And the Chinese regime knows this, but the thing is, they do not even allow us to be sold in China. They catch us and send us back North Korea to get killed. So North Koreans are so vulnerable. We are running away from the police. And we are running away from the Chinese people trying to report on us. Like back in the days in America, they were like slave hunters, right? If they get catch a mm, slave, yeah. they get money. Like that in China, the regime says to Chinese, like if you report on North Korean, we're going to give you money. Like it used to be the 5,000 men in China. It was a lot of money for Chinese people. So they were looking for us, looking for North Korean slaves to report on so they can get money from the regime. So we are running away from everybody. And of course, we are falling into the human traffickers and brothers. And when they said us, we have no place to go, right? We cannot go to police to ask for help. And that's how North Korean women right now, there are 300,000 of them. And all became sexual slaves. Wow. And, and, and you don't have to share any of this if you don't feel comfortable. Um, so when, when, the, when the human traffickers, like when they buy you, do they use you for their personal use? Are they, giving, are they selling you to men? Are they selling you to be a wife? Like, you know, what, what is their, their end game for owning these women? So these traffickers, my case, my mom was sold for a farmer who meant to go sold to the family who was like mentally retarded, so poor that she was sold to this farmer's house in China. And this cha- the human trafficker who bought me, he didn't want to sell me. He wanted me for himself. And then I was going to kill myself. But he said, if you become my mistress... I'm going to help you with your family. I'm going to buy your mom back and bring your father to you. So if you, you don't kill yourself and be my like mistress. So that was my deal with him. But mostly they buy these girls and then they are 
I think three places this girl's might end up. One is usually like what my mom's path to go to a region where the remote villages where men cannot find the women. Or they're sometimes in a village so poor, they buy one woman and the entire man in the town share her. Wow. Or like brothers, like three brothers don't have the you know money. They get one and the older brother share her. That is usually the first path. The second path is going into nightlife via brothels, prostitution. So they get these girls, and then usually North Korean women, they, they reject, right? They try to kill themselves, and they try not to go into it. Then they give them drugs, and they make them become drug addicts. So these women do whatever it takes to get the drug from them, usually what they do in the brothels. Third one is for the organ harvesting. There's a lot North China's biggest organ harvesting country. So they get the North Korean women and men, and then they go somewhere underground and take the organs out and kill them right there. Oh, Lord. So this is a big... And then the last one is actually chat room. And last one is where they, again, detain them in apartments with the cameras and let them show their bodies to men through the cam. cam. And then mm. men pay the money by minute or hourly, I don't know. And then women inside that thing, they get fed from the dislike traffickers. And wow. women have no way out. So all these things are happening right now in this 21st century under CCP. And while wow. we are talking about slavery in this country, it's still happening, right? It's mm. still continuing. And this has been so struggle because people don't know this. And they know the girls captured by ISIS. They know the girls that, you know, got shot by Taliban. But they don't know the North Korean girls being going through this inhumane slavery in China under CCP. Wow. And so the guy says, if you be my mistress, um, you can go ahead and I'll buy your mother back and I'll bring your father. Did, did he... I mean, you got you got connected with your mom. Did he get your dad for you? Did yeah. he? Uh, did he? He did. He okay. sent a broker and then brought my sick father from North Korea, who I left behind. Oh. And he so okay. he he so he was the one sold my mom to a farmer. So he bought my mom back from the farmer that he sold. Okay, and then so you so you said you were there from thirteen to fifteen. Were you with that same guy the entire time? Mostly later, uh, after he became broke, he was a. He was a gambler. He lost all his money. And somehow, this is the thing about humanity. He was so evil, but then he would still let me go. So I joined the chat room. And this chat room is where, better than prostitution, I thought. Like, nobody touched me physically. All I had to do is virtually, right? And there mm. I met another North Korean defector woman. And she told me that there's a way out of all this. And what is that? And she said, like, we go to South Korea. Like, what is South Korea? I thought it was colonized by American bastards, right? In North Korea, they say South Korea is a horrible place, raped by American soldiers every single day. They are so horrible in the capitalism. And she was like, no, no, South Korea is a better place. And you, if you go to South Korea, you can be free. And until that point, I never heard the word free. So I asked her, like, what do you mean I'm going to be free? She said, okay, you can wear jeans. Because in North Korea, if you wear jeans, you go to prison. Like you can watch mm. TV. And of course, in order to, if you watch a wrong movie, you got to get executed or go to concentration camp. So I, for mm. the first time, I heard there's a place like South Korea that was free. And then which the, the point was being rescued was actually go to study Bible for the missionaries. 
And then once we prove our faith to these missionaries, they would let us know how to go to South Korea. Later, we found out going to South Korea meant in, in minus 40 degrees in 2009. In February, we crossed the frozen Gobi Desert and from China to Mongolia. And we did that, and that's how I got to Mongolia from China. Okay, so you were, fi- uh, you were 15 at that time? Mm, I was 15 by then. You were 15, so you met a woman on the, on the chat room um, who was, was she, was she in China as well? Where yeah, was this woman located? Yeah, she was located? China, in the, in the okay. same province that I was in China. And okay. she knew those missionaries who did this kind of rescue mission. And then, okay. and then we joined the missionaries. I studied the Bible. And once we proved our faith to them that we are Christians now, they told us how to go to Mongolia. Okay, so then you, you said you crossed this no, another frozen river. Frozen Gobi to, Desert, to, actually. Oh, sorry, mm. desert. I oh. apologize. <laughs> Cross the desert to go to Mongolia. And so what happens when you're in Mongolia? Uh, after the Mongolian soldiers initially didn't try to help us, they were going to send us back to China and North Korea to get killed. So we brought the laser and poisons with us and knives to kill ourselves because, you know, Going back to North Korea is going to gas chamber for the Jewish people. We are going to literally ending up like that. But death is so much harder in North Korea after all the torture. The biggest fortune you get is killing yourself right there. So we were wow. ready to kill ourselves. And the soldiers took a pity on us and then eventually reached out to South Korean embassy. And then a few months of the refugee detention center, we were able to go to South Korea in 2009. Okay, and then um, did you, how did, what mode of transportation did you guys take there? Uh, we, in Mongolia, we took the train and cars. It, it took several months to go to the capital, Ulaanbaatar. And then from there, we, South Korean region, government gave us the fake passport. So we flew to okay. Incheon, South Korea from Ulaanbaatar. Okay, and at this time, was this, was this you, your mom, the girl, and your dad? Who was all in this group so, of you that traveled? My father passed away in China. Um, Sorry to hear that. It's okay. And my mom and myself and the people in our group who we escaped together. There were like four okay. or five other people in our group. So we are yeah. together and we escaped together. What happened to that girl who gave you the information about the path to um, Mongolia? Did she escape as well yeah, with you? she didn't make it to okay. South Korea. Now she's also free. Okay, so so cool. So uh, and and w- so South Korea, you arrived there at what age? Fifteen years old. Fifteen years old. Okay, and then what was it like in South Korea when you arrived at fifteen? I mean, different planet. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like you know. I never even knew what democracy was and what is freedom of speech, right? In South Korea, I the hardest thing was really when I got there, they told me, so first of all, Americans are not bastards, right? They say Americans are great yeah. people. And the Kims are not gods. They are dictators. They don't read your mind. They don't have the power like miracle. They cannot move the mountains. They are like human beings, but they lie to you that they are gods. And then everything that you believe is a lie. So I was like, so if everything I believe was a lie, how do I know what you're telling me is not lying? I had this chaos in trust. Like I did not know how to trust again. And I started reading a lot of books. And of course, reading George Orwell's Animal Farm in 1984. That really made me to understand what happened to my people. 
what happened to my country, and it really helped me to how to trust again. Wow. And so these books that you were reading gave you new hope and, and an ability to trust. And so 15 years old, you haven't been, you haven't been um, educated formally for so many years. So what were you, uh, were you put into a school system? Like how were you able to, you know, readjust the society? Yeah, I mean, I was almost like 16 years old. And then they were, they did a placement test on me. And they said, you need to go study with seven years old. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. even know, like, uh, I don't even know what the planet is. I never even seen the map of the world. I don't even know what continents are. And of course, mm. not to mention English, right? I don't know anything. And I was like, no, I'm not going to study with seven years old. So I told myself, I took GED. So I crashed like this 12 years of education course into one year. And at 17, wow. I was accepted to university in South Korea. So I studied criminal justice in Seoul. Hmm. So within within a year, one year time, you just basically said, "I'm going to. I'm not going back to you know third grade or whatever grade it was. I'm going to study myself." So you self taught yourself an entire like uh, adulthood of or I mean childhood of education in one year. Yeah. I, How were you able to do that? Uh, I mean. I escaped, like I crossed a desert. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, if yeah, I did yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> studying was yeah. it was difficult, like literally challenging. I was even not used to sitting on a chair and reading books, right? Like yeah. until almost sixteen, I never had that principle in my mind. Like you sit down somewhere and you study. That was so rare thing. And of course, I was starting doing addition and very basic things. And of course, like studying A, B, C, D, the alphabet for the first time. But yeah. it's, uh, I was thirsty. I was really thirsty for knowledge and truth because all my life, everything was lie. And then finally, I found the opportunity to understand how the world actually worked. So that, mm. you know, it was uh, such an amazing time. Like I lived in this underground house where there's no even windows, so tiny, but like it was just filled with books. I was reading at least like a hundred books a year and trying wow. to catch up with everything that I missed out. Okay. So 17 years old, you're rolling university in, in South Korea. And what was your university experience like? It was interesting, right? Like in South Korea, these kids study English literally when they're in their mother's tummy. <laughs> North Korea, I mean, South Korea, does this thing. they are so obsessed with education. They begin when the child is conceived. Right, they like hear them like classical music and I like, study English, French, and they've been studying so hard. They're like the studying machines. South Korean yeah. kids are like there's a law that bans kids study after two a.m. and then they put the blankets on the window and study after two a.m. and the government yeah. tries everything like don't study after two a.m. and the kids like we don't yeah. study more, right? Like this is the bizarre, most bizarre thing you ever see. So really yeah. going into a country where competition was the number one thing. Like it didn't really matter. All you care is that you're married. How hard do you work? Right? Like your hard work pays off. And that's when I heard like what that's what justice is. Because in North Korea, doesn't matter how hard you work. It's all about which family did you born into? What yeah. class in the system were you born into? It doesn't matter who you are as a person. And in South Korea, like, it doesn't matter where you're born into. It all comes to how hard are you willing to work. 
And I was like, this is the country you can actually change your own fate by wow. doing hard work. So that's exactly what I did. Yeah. So how long were you in university in South Korea for? Over three years. So in my last year, I transferred to Columbia University in New York and then did okay, another four wow. years of BA. Okay. So did, were you um, making friends while you were in university or were you just all books? Like what was, what was the social ex experience like for you in um, South Korea during university? Uh, I did make few friends, but I was discriminated heavily because uh, there's uh, South Korea. And this is the thing, like racism exists in every country. It's not like unique yeah, yeah. thing that America has. Like in a way, yeah. somehow Asia is way more racist. Like South Korea, I mean, Japan is way more racist. So mm. even the fact that I'm even Korean, I have a South Korean citizenship. I look like Korean, but then I had an accent. So they were like, why do you speak funny way? And then I learned the South Korean accent. But then if they learn, and then I got onto TV show in South Korea at early on, and they saw me there and then learned that I was North Korean. And there was a lot of discrimination against me. And they had these you know, stereotypes where like people from communist countries don't understand the capitalism. They don't understand democracy. They are liars. They don't work hard. They're lazy because they are born in a system where there's no incentive to work hard. So, so you said you were, on a, you were on a TV show? Yeah, I joined the TV show to see, find my lost sister. So I told you oh, wow. before I yeah, escaped, yeah, yeah, yeah. my sister who escaped at 16. And then after seven years, I still didn't find her. I did not find her. So I, I got onto South Korean TV show and started looking for my sister. Eventually, I found her though. So, But then I had to go a lot of places to look for her. Where, where was she at? Was she in South Korea she as well? She was in China. And then after seven oh. years later, she came to South Korea. Okay. So you were, so college experience it, you in South Korea, there was a lot of discrimination. So who would you say was like your first friend? Do you feel like you made your first, would you say it was the girl in China who helped you escape? Would you say it was somebody you met in South Korea? Like when do you feel like you developed that first friendship after all these years of isolation i made that friendship interestingly enough my first true friends that i felt like unconditional love like unconditional love for another human being right mm -hmm. that was in america with the okay i would call like my gay brother <laughs> uh, i know yeah. like i remember i met him in san francisco and then he came to hug me after my talk and then like, baby, don't worry, I'm gay. So I was like, what the heck is that? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. So I went to my <laughs> hotel and then I looked it up, like Google the gay. And then I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's what it is. And after yeah. that, he and I, uh, he became my first true friends where I trust the humanity again. I believed in them. You know, I, okay. I started believing in humanity. And so... San Francisco was after Columbia. Before, right before Columbia. Oh, right before mm -hmm. Columbia. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so after you finished school in South Korea, um, I transferred. you went to San Francisco. So, okay. yeah. So when, the, when I was in the middle of university in South Korea in my last year, I, mm -hmm. I, I got a book offer to write a book, uh, my memoir. So my agent who, and my publisher was Penguin Random House. They were in New York. 
So I came oh, really? to New York. Awesome. Yeah, I came to New York writing my book, and then I learned there's school called Columbia in in Uptown. So I applied to study there while I was writing my book, and then I was in between. I became a human rights activist. So I was going to San Francisco. I'm going to House of like a. I mean, in the UK, UN, State Department, all around the world to to let the people know what was happening to my people. And wow. so that's how I've been able to travel around, around the country and around the world. Okay. So how were you able to get a, a United States um, company like that? Did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? How did that work about? Yeah, so I gave a speech in Ireland called the One Young World, like One Young World Summit. And then the speech that I gave there went really viral. It was viewed by more than like 350 million people. So oh, wow. I got, that's how I wrote my book. And I was getting invited to UN and other places to give testimony and to really talk about what's going on inside the country. Wow. Wow. No. So um, I think one of the things that just really stood out to me about your about your story and your experiences is just, man, just all the things you were going through, but also all the perseverance that you were experiencing where there were so many obstacles and there were so many challenges and you have to li- li- cross literal deserts and, and rivers to now arrive into the United States and then you know, then slowly but surely after all these difficulties and hardships and, and pains uh, that you're able to restore your hope in, in humanity um, from just all the little experience that you went through. And so I guess what one of the things that I'm very curious about is that in regards to, I know you had the, the you know, the, the gay friend who was really kind and really helpful to you. Do you find it difficult in regards to trusting men because of all the experiences that you've had from growing up? Do you, what has that been like for you? It is right. I mean, the first thing, the first sex that I saw was rape, right? In North yeah. Korea, there's no even sex education. I didn't even know what kiss was like people don't hold their hands in public the sexual those like physical affections not allowed in the country in a way north korea we don't even know what shakespeare is the history is forgotten for us the kims do not teach us anything before kims like i mean literally north korean calendar begins where kim Il-sung was born the first kim they don't even tell oh, me wow. that i'm asian that's the thing like i didn't even not know what race was and they told me that i was kim Il-sung race I was not even Asian. And that's how the entire truth is alternative truth by the regime. They rewrite the history for us. And like, you know, romance is the most shameful thing. They don't even talk about it. Like there's no movie about love stories. There's no books, movies, Mm. songs, right? But I think it took some time. Of course, like North Korea, men beat their wives, right? They're the... The thing they say, like, in order to train dogs and your wife is beating them up. That's the only way you train mm. them. It's like the most common saying they say in North Korea. Yeah. And I don't blame them because these men also didn't have the right education. As horrible yeah. as it was, like, my father was a man. He loved us more than anything. He gave his life for us. And now yeah. I have a son and 
my ex-husband he's white and whenever i see him people say like how he should be guilty about slavery i my my heart just breaks like this little thing never chose his skin color right he never was asked to be half white at all and seeing this kind of injustice repeating in america and making people feel guilty for the things they did not choose like you don't choose your ancestors you do not choose your birthplace and people should never be punished for that and it's just yeah. seeing America right now with this kind of ideology that is so poisonous, so harmful yeah. for everybody. And seeing that and just seeing the Western civilization committing their own suicide. And now, in a way, I've been campaigning to letting the world know the horrors of CCP, what they are doing. Because North Korean regime exists because Chinese regime is supporting them. Right? They are the one who is responsible for this the crime against humanity that happened in North Korea. The UN says, what is happening in North Korea? The only power that we find in history is the Holocaust. So Holocaust is happening again, and we are denying it again. Literally, mm. history repeating the same exact same thing now. Oh. And now I'm, of course, getting, I have a YouTube channel, and I get canceled, I get shadow banned on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere I get, I get censored. And of course, it just, unbelievable in america now you have to get cancelled for your speech like of course the difference is that in north korea you don't you get executed for saying the yeah. wrong thing and in america for the moment it's getting cancelled but mm. this is the path that north korea took north korea didn't become that way in one day they took yeah. many steps to get there and i just see that in america now they are taking these steps to get there and that's what frightens me yeah no that i mean i think Somebody once shared a point to me and they said one of the best and worst arguments to make is a slippery slope argument. It's the worst argument because you can't predict the future, but it's the best argument because a lot of times the, the future shows itself in the, in, the, in the present. And so like from your experiences, you're seeing that there's a lot of trends and patterns Absolutely. that and, and if North Korea was the extreme version of it, you now see society now trickling into now creating these patterns yeah. of of things that you feel like if it's left unchecked, because similar in 1984, I mean, I, I mean, in Animal Farm, the pigs didn't just start off by walking on two feet and ruling. The, like there was slow deterioration of rights for everybody else, yeah. which then led to yeah. you know this this new power structure. And you and you shared a point about. Your empathy with your son and and um, how old is he? He's like three and a half. Yeah, and and so you're you're now seeing that you know there's a lot of things in society where it's you know white guilt or male guilt and yeah. or things along those lines where you are now demonized for things you've never done. Yeah. By simple, like you said, similar to what happened in North Korea, simply by association. Yeah. And these things, like you, like you are firsthand got to experience how crazy the world can get if you slowly start to generalize and demonize specific groups of people. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Like, I was at Columbia four years, right? Every single thing about like toxic masculinity, and like, and then one of the professors were telling me, like, you know, the signs of when the man holds the door for you. And like, that's decency. That's being nice. And as no, 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 that's like the signs of toxic masculinity. They try to show off that they are more powerful than me. 
Wow. And I was like, I hold the door for other people. It's not like I'm trying to show off my power. I'm just trying to be yeah. nice. And it's no, they're like, you're brainwashed. And right, it just, yeah. and it's all about finding this hidden oppression and sensitivity yeah. training and dividing people between the oppressed and oppressors. Isn't that this complete Marxist common thing to do? Right? Yeah. And then finding things to hate. In North Korea, yeah. like the 1984 talks of hate weeks, you need something to hate about all the time. It's not about having a mercy and grace understanding. It's all about hate and dividing. And seeing yeah. that in the heart of this beautiful democracy, you see the erosion of these great values and yeah, it's such an interesting time. I think I came to America. It's like I came when the Trump was being elected. And people said, this yeah. is like now America, what it used to be. So yeah. I was always a joke about it. Maybe I bring the dictators wherever I go. <laughs> you know, I was meant to live in a country where there's no freedom. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that that's, that's funny. And, yeah. and no, you made, you made a really interesting point because I was, I was talking to one of my friends about this similar concept when when you when you understand um racism sexism whatever ism you know whatever phobias that you believe what what that simply is is hate mm -hmm. plus blank yeah. equals that right yeah. so hate plus color or hate plus ethnicity is racism hate plus women is you know misogyny hate plus man is misandry like like it's hate plus this equals what's wrong but we as a society we, like you said, like we have this tribe, this such as tribalism that is beginning to develop now where we simply think, okay, because I don't hate you because you're black, but I hate you because you're Republican. Yeah. Or I don't hate you because you're a woman. I hate you because you're a straight male. You know, so now what's happening is that Simmons Animal Farm, where before we all said it was wrong when person A look down upon person B, we now do the same thing, but we justify our behavior because we're not hating color, but then we're hating men yeah. or we're hating conservatives or we're hating this, these religious groups of people. And so these are all these things that when, when you see these society, um, C.S. Lewis described it as like chronological snobbery where it's so easy to look back in the past and to look down upon their tribal behavior Whereas the, a lot of these misbehaviors and these things that caused all these atrocities in the uh, early 20th century are things that we're still doing today yeah. in our everyday lives. It's, it's unbelievable. Like right now, it's almost the antidote to racism is like another racism, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Literally, I mean, the whole point to it doesn't matter what color you are. Like it's just about yeah. who you are as a character of the person. That's a society, yeah. at least what I thought that was the utopia that we should, you know, try to go there. But now it's all about, oh my God, which class did you born into? What sexual orientation are you in? Like there's 58 yeah. different pronouns. Yeah, <laughs> and like, yeah. and growing. Yes, <laughs> keep growing. And I think this is really, you see the suicide, the sinking ship of this Western civilization. And what, what is tragic about it is like they are wired. This, forces like CCP rising and their yeah. agenda is complete control. Their yeah. agenda is never let any individual ever be free ever again on this humanity of earth, right? Mm. This could be like the animal farm that we are going to talk about our grandchildren. There was a time long time ago that we had a world <laughs> for individual liberty 
and they're not gonna yeah. even know what that is. It's totally yeah. possible. Like North Korea wasn't like that. It, even under Japanese colonialism, it was more merit based. If you worked hard, you could become a trader. And when I was born, I didn't even know that life exists before Kim's. I did not even know what Big mm. Bang was or even evolution was. Everything yeah. was just there. Like the the young animals in the animal farm born, they don't know what life before that what revolution was. Exactly like yeah. that. And it only took three generations in North Korea. Mm. That's how little it takes to make a country into a different planet. Yeah, and, and one of the things to me that's most remarkable about your story is through the midst of true tragedy, true pain, true suffering, true horrors. Like you, um, as Jordan Peterson described it, you experienced like literal hell <laughs> on this planet. But there's, there's a saying by the Puritans that says the same sun which melts the ice hardens the clay. And so the idea of the sun is sun is representation of the difficulties of life. And similar to there's no way of escaping the sun. No matter where you go on planet Earth, there will be a sun. Also, no matter where you go on planet Earth, there's going to be difficulties. And I'm sorry, no matter what life you have, you'll have difficulties. And so the idea is that the difficulties of life do one of two things. It hardens things and it melts things. So a lot of times when people go through hardships, especially if it's rape and trauma and abuse and trafficking, that makes them hard. That makes them bitter. That makes them cynical. That makes them resentful. That 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 the the hell that they experience now manifests in, in their hearts, and then they ex, you know share that to other people. But that's not what happened to you. You know, the sun didn't harden your heart. It, it melted your heart. And and what it did was it made you more compassionate. It made you more caring. It made you able to better sympathize and empathize with other people. And to me, I truly believe, you know, the, 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 there's there's no answer to why does God allow, you know, bad things to happen to good people. And, and, and I would never try to be as, you know, uh, ignorant to be able to answer that question. But what I truly see is that the the, 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 the true path of those who experience the difficulties that that that's similar to what that you went through is the path of healing and now using now your your voice to heal other people and using your your journey and your experiences to be able to help others and and that to me is what's most remarkable about it because you have every reason to hate all men you have every reason to hate humanity. You have every reason to, to feel betrayed and, and, to, and to be in all. You've been victimized, so you have every reason to be the victim. And that's not the woman that I'm talking to today. I'm not talking to a woman who's a victim. I'm talking to a woman and a human being who's a victor. <laughs> and, and I'm talking to somebody who's, who's transcended the difficulties of their experience to now be a light to other people. So I, I want to tell you thank you so much for being an example, not only for others, but for me. You know, oh. and giving me perspective of understanding that you don't, you're never a, a you're, you're a product of your past, but not a prisoner of your past. And you can always to make that product to be something that's beneficial to humanity. Oh, thank you. I'm so, so grateful. I think like when I began writing my book, I, the first thing I said, like, there are two things I'm grateful for. One was I was born in North Korea and the other one was that I escaped. I mean, if I have to be truly honest, right, 
there are people fall harder than me who didn't make it. Yeah. I mean, how can you not be grateful? Like, yeah. what were the chances of me making in that desert was not even 1% in the minus 40 degrees without even gloves in my hands? And I think that's the thing, like, in a way that this country almost expected me to become a, like a victim and blaming yeah. men and blaming the things and be bitter. And they were like saying, yeah, I mean, you're traumatized. You need to go see the therapy. And I was like, what is trauma? <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, when people go through horrible things, they get tra- traumatized and they have to now talk about it and then resolve it. And of course, I'm all for like counseling, all for that. But I was thinking like, so what's the point of me surviving all of that if I'm going to be bitter about it for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, then why did they even survive yeah. any of that? And it's, it's so sad people like at Columbia entire day that keep asking them like, you know, what are you oppressed about? Keep looking for the hidden oppression. And like when you're truly oppressed, you don't even know the world for oppression. Like in North Korea, like people don't even know they're isolated, right? Because that's a true means of like isolation. And it's, I mean, the fact that you can talk about trauma, like the fact that I, I can talk about my trauma, like I know that that means that's a sign of privilege, right? There are literally yeah. people don't even know the concept of trauma exists while going through every possible conceivable trauma they go through. And I think what you said, that that perspective is not only, like, I, I'm i glad that I went through them. So now, now yeah. I don't have to, you know, complain about, you know, not does my boyfriend doesn't call me, doesn't bother me, <laughs> right? <laughs> I can bother the by some other things, not like my girlfriend's yeah. in New York, right? Like... Getting a nice bag, like it doesn't bother me. Like, <laughs> like getting a yeah, nice car, no. like I don't care. So yeah. it's, uh, I am grateful. I think in a way because I went through them, I can be way yeah. more grateful for the fact that I you know I I know what freedom is. Makes me so excited every day, and like yeah. like still till this day, what bothers me is my father passed away without knowing the knowledge that world can be like this. Not even for him to see this one day in his life. That's not what I'm hoping. I just hope he knew that life could mm. be like this in this earth. That it didn't have to be all the horror and dark and injustice, right? And I think that's the thing. Like People don't know that they're living in a bubble. Right now, there are four, more than 4 billion people, more than half of us, are living under dictatorship and authoritarian governments. We, it's, we are small, small percentage in human history that we are rarely became free. And this is such a unique yeah. event that we are having. And seeing the people are so ready to throw that away in the name of equal outcomes, in the name of equity. Yeah. It's just so, so sad. Yeah. No, that's true. If, if humanity does not learn from the past, it is doomed to repeat, repeat the mistakes of the past. And like you pointed out, perspective and gratitude is, is something that every single one of us every single day need to take, a, you know, take in consideration. And, I, and, and for those who are going through difficulties and hardships, you know, by no means are we sharing these things to diminish what you're going through. But we simply just want everybody to be healthy, to be healed, and to use whatever happened in their past to be someone that they, they can transform to be able to help other people in the future and in the present. So, Yomi, this was such 
a great conversation. I thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you at? They can find me on my YouTube channel. It's called The Voice of North Korea. And I'm on Twitter. It's Yanni Park NK. On Instagram, Facebook, just not on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, thank you so thank you so much, Yonmi. And and please guys be sure to subscribe to Yonmi's YouTube channel. Send her a message on Instagram. Let her know what about the podcast stood out to you guys. And and as always, guys, you know. One of the goals here at The Roommates is to help people become the best version of themselves. And we're just glad to be able to learn from a bunch of different people. So please make sure you show us some love. My name is Hafiz and I'm joined by... Yanni Park. <laughs> we're The Roommates and have a great day.